I love you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know Jesus. That's a simple phrase. I want you to say that phrase to someone else. Genuinely be able to say that phrase to someone else. And when we did the Jeopardy moment, for you to not just fill out your connect cards with information, hey, here's what's up, you know, correct this on your database, but to give three names to answer the question, three people I know in this valley who need a relationship with Jesus. Those three names that you wrote down are names that God's asking you to be on mission with. Not as projects, not as uh, big heavy Bible thumpers, but as just genuine seekers of God who have the joy of a relationship with Jesus that you want them to be able to share. These are the cards from last week. I'm going to collect, we're going to collect the cards at the end of service that you just filled out or are continuing to fill out. I don't have time, of course, to flip through all these cards and tell the names, but there's names on all of these cards. I had these on my desk this week. And as I look through and read names, names that you wrote down, I'm like, well, these people, they're saying that they need a relationship with Jesus, something to change and transform their life. And yes, they do. Well, how's that going to happen? We going to go out and strong arm them to go to something? No, we are sending you out to continue to be a friend, to be a relative, to be a caring neighbor, to be a co-worker, even if the person's challenging to you at work. And God is asking you to build a relationship with them. And somewhere... During the course of that relationship, you don't have to share the whole gospel. You don't even have to get them to come to church. Just let them know something very simple. I love you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know Jesus. Now, it may seem a little awkward to you, especially if it's your neighbor's like, I love you. No. Well, then change a little bit. Hey, I care about you. And I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Is there any way I can pray for you? And I want you to know Jesus. Ooh, you said the name Jesus. That's going to tag you. Yeah? Come out of the dark. Be a light for Jesus. A light hidden under a bushel, Jesus said, doesn't give very much light. But a light put on a hill is going to shine forth. You need to shine in your networks of relationships. We as a church body gather as we talked about, once every seven days to worship God. It was great worship today, great team today. And even though we're not in Haiti, like Pastor Zach said, we're able to worship in English and join with people around the world, worshiping God. We gather and we worship, but friends, the mission is out there. And that's one of the reasons that you're challenged to be able to come up with at least three names of individuals that you can pray for. You build the relationship with. Let them know. Take the risk. Hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes in our life, that's about all you can do because people are resistant to the gospel. Maybe you have a family member who's like, I don't need any of your religion stuff, right? That's all right. Just let them know genuinely. I love you, and I'm praying for you. And I want you to know Jesus. Because, friends, this fall, we are on mission as a church. It's a great group here today. But 
think about the numbers of people that are outside the walls, not just of this church, but any church in this valley, who desperately need transformation and hope. And you, just like Joey Miranda, are missionaries being sent out. So you got your three names on the cards. We're going to add to this stack, and we're going to continue to create a prayer list. And that prayer list is a list of individuals who need to know what we've been talking about for the last several months. And that is that Jesus Christ is the light and the life and the love and hope of the world. Today we finish a much longer than anticipated message series in the letter that the Apostle John wrote to some Christians than what I thought it was going to be when we stepped into it. But that's because there's all kinds of nuggets and really good things in here. Some of you have been on this journey. Maybe you've been in and out. Maybe you're watching online some Sundays. Maybe you're here in presence. Maybe you tried to catch it on the website later. Maybe you just sort of checked out and you got a few messages. I want you to gain the ethos again as we step into just the last few verses of this letter that John, who was a disciple of Jesus, he walked with him, he talked with him, he knew Jesus. He was the last disciple to be alive. Probably in his 90s he died. And John gave the, the revelation um, of what we have as the book of Revelation, of the end times. He wrote the Gospel of John, which was one of the most powerful Gospels, depicting the life of Christ and His miracles so the people would be saved and transformed. And he wrote three individual letters. We have 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, trying to exhort Christians all the way to His dying breath. He was giving witness for Jesus Christ. I love you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know Jesus. He was impassioned with that which he found in his younger years, when he was called by Jesus as a fisherman off the water. And this was the ethos, if you remember, of the beginning of the letter. Just hang with me. See yourself receiving this as it was given the very first time in those churches that were receiving, hey, we got a letter from John. Here's a letter from John. And John says, <clears throat> that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we write this. We write this to make our joy complete. And this is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Have you ever come across somebody that's just over-the-top excited about something? Maybe it's something they experienced in life. Maybe it's something they purchased. They think that's really cool. Maybe it's a relationship that they've given. 
Friends, you and I, if we claim to believe, be believers and followers of Jesus Christ, could, should consistently be over the top about this reality that we know Jesus Christ, the one who is the light and the life and the love who is born of God himself. That doesn't mean you have to be all, you know, jacked up and hyper super and positive if you're going through some challenging times. We talked about those. But there needs to be an internal reality that exists within your life and mine that says that you're on the winning side, that you're able to know God and that you want to pass that knowledge and that experience of God through Jesus Christ on to others. But weeks come and go. Years come and go. And I see that Christians so easily get dulled in their faith. They get wore down. And sometimes rightly so, because you can take some hard hits standing up for Christ or trying to live for Him and raise a godly family or be an influence in your workplace. But you should never, ever live outside the ultimate reality of what you have in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that should guide and direct and buoy up your life each and every day. I just simply titled... Our last few thoughts here at the end of this letter today, living in reality. What is the reality that you live in? Well, if you want to know my reality, Carrie, is uh, I think my job's a little iffy right now. And um, the bills, there's more bills left at the end of the month than what I have resources for. And there's some relationships that are pretty rocky right now. And then I watch the news, and I'm overwhelmed by the events of the world. And we find ourselves falling into a reality that can be very discouraging. Not just in our personal lives, but in our faith. John is writing to these Christians, and he's writing to you and I today. To say, live in the reality. The reality that Jesus Christ is the light and life and the love of God and extend that reality to others. So with that, if you would take your scriptures, whether in hand or by phone, or you can look up here on uh, the screen. These are the last few verses of this letter. And these last few verses in this letter, he comes right back to some of the themes that were very much prominent throughout the whole letter. He's not repeating himself. He's like a, a, a crescendoing effect. He's building and building and building. And this is where he lands. He lands with three realities that you need to take home today afresh and anew. Three times he says, we know, we know, we know. And this is the first in verse 18 of chapter 5. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Now what's going on here? Why is he exhorting this? Well, before he's talked about this sin, and you can't live in darkness, and we've talked about that, because something was happening in that church body 
where there was a schism or a sector of people that thought, you know, well, we know Jesus, we know God, but we're just going to live the life that we want to live. And some of that includes indulgence and some sinful kinds of uh, antics. And he's like, don't go there. That's not true of those who know God, who know the one who was born of God. And it's interesting here because it has two born issues. The born of God, we know anyone born of God. Anyone born of God is if you not came and sat in church and thought, oh, I got born because I was in, in church. No, I'm glad you're in church. You are only born of God if you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your Savior, your leader, your Lord. There's a transformation that happens. And when you have that transformation, you are born again. Oh, you heard about that? Oh, it's the same guy. The same guy that wrote John 3.16, who uh, talked about God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And then, and then Nicodemus, right after that, this, uh, this Pharisee religious person wanted to know Jesus. You know, God, what, what can I do? And, and Jesus said, you must be born again. This idea of rebirth is embedded in the very heart of who John is as he looks out and he sees people. He says, you need to be born of God. We know, though, that those who are born of God, who are born again, those who are born again do not continue to sin. Why? Because the one who was born of God. Now that's referring to Jesus not that he was born of God. Is he come from the Father? He is the God himself. All right, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. But that double play there is not saying that Jesus was born. He was born incarnate, but he always existed with the Father because he was God. That one keeps you safe. Any of you felt unsafe this week? What about some of the Christians we're praying for in Afghanistan? You think they feel unsafe this week? The primary security that they have is being able to know that the Jesus that they've given their life to is with them and will protect them. If not in this life, He will transcend them to the next life to be with Him. But those who are born of God do not sin. So what reality you're living with? Well, you know, they're trying. You know, I've been trying. It's a fall here and there. This does not mean that you never, ever sin. This is in the present tense, which means you do not, as an individual, if you're born again, continue to willfully want to sin. Doesn't mean you don't fall. Doesn't mean that you don't have a season in your life where you're maybe doubts and there's some errors, that kind of thing that come in, because he keeps you safe. God's not up there with a big eraser. Oh, right, Carrie really messed up today. I had his name written in this eternal book of life to be with me, but Carrie, uh, next time you're at church, you need to repent and come back to know me again. No, that's not how your relationship works with God. When he adopts you, he adopts you as a child, but a child who's adopted can also be estranged from the adopted parents. 
And so sometimes we become estranged from God, but he doesn't erase us out of the book of life. There is a true apostate kind of person that's referenced in Hebrews 6, but this is not dealing with that. The idea that if you're born again, you do not sin means you have had a changed life. And your direction is no longer in the pathway of sin and succumbing to it. You are now choosing to live for God and live in obedience. We know that this is the reality of those who have been born of God. They do not continue in sin. What's your reality this morning? You see, Jesus did not just die for the penalty of our sin. He also died to the power of sin in our life. And Christ in you is your hope of glory. Christ in you is your hope of glory, and you should have a changed life. And if your life has not changed and you don't have a desire to obey God, then you have every reason to question if you've been born from God, if you've been born again. And so as he's unpacking this, he's just talking to these people in this church. He's writing this letter, sending it to them. We know, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who has been born of God keeps them safe and the evil one can't touch them, can't harm them. The second we know is this. We know that we are the children of God. We are adopted as his children. And being adopted as his children gives us special access to all kinds of things. And we talked about it last week concerning prayer, right? This whole aspect of being able to, you know, to pray and to understand God's hearing you. You have very access to God himself. You don't have to go, hey, God, you're hanging around. You gotta get, I took a number. Will you uh, answer me? Uh, you do that callback thing when you call somebody and say, hey, you've got an hour wait, but we will call you back. That's not how God works with those who are his children. If you are a child of God, you're adopted, you have access to him, and you have all kinds of incredible things. Do you know that you're a child of God? And do you know what comes to you as a child of God to be able to receive the joy of the Father. But then he adds this, and we can put a we know on it too, though it's not there. We know that we are a child of God, and we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Again, I don't know what your background is. We covered this a few weeks ago in 1 John 4, uh, chapter 4. Uh, but there is an evil one named Satan, a devil. And he has his fallen host. What were fallen angels, actually, from the beginning of time. And, and those angels are unclean, demonic spirits, and they wreak havoc in this world. And so he's juxtaposing two things here. We know that we are a children of God, but we also know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Let me ask you this. When you watch the events of this last week unfold, related to the United States' involvement in Afghanistan, how do you interpret the reality of that? Oh, you may go to uh, you know, a military perspective on it or even a political perspective. But do you go to the spiritual perspective on what's happening in Afghanistan? 
as well as in many places around the world, right? There is an evil one, and the evil one, through his evil partners and the sinful nature of people that has not been changed and transformed, wreaks evil and corruption and havoc and murder and death and brokenness in our world. That's the reality, and John knew it. He saw it in his day. We see it in our day. You know, a lot of times it's great for us to talk about, well, you know, hey, we're, we're children of God and people even on the outside of the faith who are not born of God. Uh, they like to hear positive things. You know, hey, God is for you. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to fill you with his fullness. There's direction and hope in him. And Jesus gave up his life for you. They go, thanks. That's, that's great to hear. But if you started to tell them that they were of the evil one, that they're a broken sinner and lost, and they're under the control of Satan, they're going to step back and they're going to go, wait a second, now you're going a bit too far, Carrie. You see, we like the positive of what God comes to do in our world, and we can preach it and shout it from the mountaintops or from the platform and, and, or in a neighborhood and say God is love and, and, and He's got things for you, and that's all great. But do we uphold the equal aspect on the opposite end of that, which is without God and Jesus Christ in your world, you too are controlled by the evil one. You can just stay with that. I love you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know Jesus thing. Don't be telling me that. But see, we can't hide that from our world because we have to live in reality. And the reality is God is at war. He won the victory through what Christ did on the cross, dying, being raised from the grave. He broke the power of Satan, but Satan is still on a long leash. And there is trouble and disruption and turmoil and pain and brokenness in our world. And we grieve. But we do not grieve without hope. Because we know our hope rests in the light and the life and the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ himself. We know that we are the children of God and we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So, what's the third we know? We know also that the Son of God has come. Now, what's he doing here? He's referencing all the way back to the first part of his letter. Remember the intro? Hey, we were there, man. We touched him. We saw him. We ate with him. You know, this is not, and he was up against some teaching in that day, maybe even in the church, that said, you know, Jesus wasn't really fully human or that kind of thing, and there's some special mystic knowledge that you need to have. No, he was telling them, Jesus, God, the Son of God, came we met him, we lived with him, we ministered with him. We saw him die, we saw him raised from the grave. We know that the Son of God himself has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. This understanding that we get 
if we've invited Christ into our life, who changes our life, who keeps us from sin, who calls us his child, uh, what he gives us understanding-wise is not mere knowledge by experience. There is intuitive truth that's given to us that we know certain things. Ah, oh, that's what's wrong with all you Christians. You're a little bit arrogant on things. You know, you, you, you sort of think you know everything, and then you pontificate about this and that because it's of the Bible. I got my doubts and my concerns. Friends, I'm sorry, I just need to let you know if you're in that camp, it's different when Christ lives in your sight of you. He speaks to you. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. It was an old song. I remember my dad used to sing that sometimes. When you have the Holy Spirit, he's imparting to you knowledge. Knowledge and truth and understanding. And the understanding is about him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That word for true, in the Greek, it's actually the word that means reality. Living in reality, this is the reality. The reality is that Jesus is the true God and He gives true reality understanding and He is the one who keeps you and gives you eternal life. That's not just life everlasting after you die. It's eternal full life today. It's a continuation. And so here's John penning his last few lines of this letter that he's been inspired to write. And he circles around to some of the same things we know. We know that those, the reality is that those who come to know Jesus, they don't continue in a pattern of sinfulness. Even though they may fall, they're choosing to live in obedience. And we know, we know that we're a child of God and we are not under the control of Satan. And we want that for the world. And we know, and we know that God came in the flesh through Jesus Christ and he gives us understanding and that understanding is true truth, true reality. And this is my experience. And so we humbly walk in this relationship with Jesus Christ. But we walk with confidence and we stand upright and we have hope in a broken world and in our own broken lives. Even if you as a Christian this week have had challenges. He was talking to Christians who were challenged. And he wasn't just giving them a pep rally cheer session. He was bringing them back around to ultimate reality. And you and I, each and every day, must live in that reality. He finishes with a fragment of a sentence. It seems like, it's almost like it's the start of another paragraph. And you're like, whoops, did we lose part of the letter? These are the last words of this whole letter. It says, dear children. And he was always referencing those who are followers of Jesus as children, right? Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Period. That's it. Where's that come from? 
Well, an idol is anything that's a substitute for God. It's anything that's a substitute for the real. Anything that's a substitute for the true one. And we place many idols in our lives. Actually, two weeks from today, I'm going to start a new series. Next week's communion. Come back and we'll be sharing together out of God's word. Two weeks, we're going to start a series. And I don't know if I heard this series, I'd come, but it's called Money, Sex, and Power. Sacred gifts or idols of the heart. But it's just not in those three areas. We're going to unpack and see God's beauty in all those three areas, but also where they can fall amiss. It's many things in our life. Many things in our life that become idols. Anything that replaces God and Jesus Christ can become an idol. And he's just exhorting the people in this church to this letter, stay clear from it. Stay clear from anything that's enticing you to follow in a direction other than the ultimate reality of the one true God. And so, I want to exhort us in closing this letter in this way. That you and I, we need to be living in reality and not in darkness we need to say to ourselves this. I need a vision of the real Jesus to sustain and direct my life each day. A vision of the glory and the power of Christ as the light and life and love of God which transcends all things. I need a vision of the real Jesus that looms enormous over my debilitating brokenness as a sinful person. My splintered community within an imperfect church and my ongoing fear of the evil enemy at work in our fallen world. And you may have aspects of that in your own life debilitating brokenness, splinteredness in a church community. And friends, we're not a perfect church around here. You just ask anybody that serves here, especially if they want to talk about me. There's imperfectness in God's community. And John was addressing some of that, but he says, hang, let's continue to build this community as Christ envisioned. And then this whole thing of fear, ongoing fear that seems to grip us. Zach just came from a trip to Haiti, and there's brokenness there, all kinds of brokenness, some because of the recent earthquake. My oldest son today is on the Gulf Shores, high up in a condo, hoping he can get out before the hurricane destroys uh, his travel back home plans. Things are happening around our world. There was news out of Afghanistan today related to trying to target terrorists that were on their way to the airport maybe to blow up more people. There's ongoing fear of COVID and, and other challenges. But friends, you and I need to have a Jesus that looms bigger than all that. Some of you are familiar with the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia. And in there, there were four kids. And uh, Peter and Susan and... and uh, Edmund and Lucy, right? 
the second book of the Chronicles of Narnia, they see Aslan the lion again. Aslan represented Jesus Christ. Do you remember this? And in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, you know, has this incredible story and in how he sets Narnia free, this land, uh, the spiritual world land of its, its curse of winter. But in Prince Caspian, Lucy, the youngest, she sees Aslan again and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he looks at her and he says, it's because you're older, little one. She says, not because you are. He says, not. But as you get older, you will find me bigger. Is that the reality that you have? Is Jesus Christ looming large in your life? Or have you caught up yourself with all the petty things, even the churchy things? Or have you discovered the fresh reality day in and day out of the true one? Do you know him? Does he loom larger? Will you ask yourself honestly this today? What reality am I living in? How big is my Jesus? How alive is my Jesus? How present is my Jesus? Where will I go to imagine and experience the real Jesus, who is the true God and eternal life? I trust you will pick up that journey and run hard to discover that Aslan is much bigger than you ever, ever dreamed. Live in the reality of what we have in the light and love and life of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we encourage you to take Rooted is because it's one way to get on that active journey. They asked me today, you still want those pieces of paper on the chairs again? I'm like, yeah, I know I had them there two weeks in a row. We got about 36 people signed up, but I, there's something in my heart that says there's probably another six or eight people that need to go on this Rooted journey for 10 weeks. This journey is a commitment. It's a commitment to your life on a personal level and a group level of building community and experiences of serving God. But what's more important than discover the reality and the beauty of a bigger God? Just as you receive Jesus, the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, devoted to Him, rooted and built up in Him strengthened with the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This morning I sent I sent a text to the sergeant major of the Marines. Top enlisted person in the Marines. His name is Troy Black. Troy used to be a part of this church a few years ago when he was here at Camp Pendleton. And Troy went through a rooted group that I had the opportunity to facilitate. And the text I sent to Troy was just that I've been thinking about you, praying for you in a challenging time in our nation. 
And I trust that the strength of God will be your portion and his wisdom. And then I listed for him the verses we're speaking on today. I'm glad I have a friend, not just because he's Sergeant Major of the Marines, but I have a friend and I know that there's one who has sought to be rooted in Christ and growing in him, who can have a vibrant witness in our world. Will you consider signing up today? It's an action step on the hills, not of just this message, but the whole series this whole summer. Going to have groups that meet on some different nights to give you some opportunity, some flexibility maybe. But that's my concluding appeal. Joe's going to lead us in a song of adoration. It's an emotional day because it's Joe's last official Sunday, I'll say a word official, of leading us in worship. I'm going to ask the ushers to take their places to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, as well as your connect cards any rooted things you have to turn in. But I want us to close and worship. And I want us to worship the one who is true, who is the ultimate reality, and let him loom larger in your life as you stand before him. So ushers come and receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, as well as your connect cards and your rooted responses. I turn it over to Joe because he knows how to lead us before the throne.